Welcome everyone to a new episode of In Check with Fintech and welcome to the third part of this podcast trilogy with um, Auka and uh, Daniel Doderlein, um, conversation CEO and founder of uh, Auka. Daniel, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me, Roger. And a small detail, we've just changed our company name from Auka to Settle Group. I was going to say, you're cutting the grass in front of my feet. Uh, I was going to say, I got an announcement yesterday that you have rebranded into Settle now officially, right? That's correct. That's correct. It, it felt like um, having two different brands when we're uh, focusing all our attention towards mobile payments seems a bit uh, exaggerated. So we're focusing all our attention towards Settle now. Makes sense. And I guess the name is also maybe a bit more international. I heard the pronunciation of Auka, I think, in the first episode was different from the international pronunciation. I guess Settle, there's at least no confusion there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I love the I love the Alka name. It's uh, it's Nordic. It's uh, old Viking language, as you know. But um, settle is a bit easier for the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. No, well, again, welcome back. Um, for the listeners who uh, have missed the previous two episodes, I definitely recommend to go back and listen to part one and two. You can do that after part three, or you can uh, listen to part one first and part two, uh, whatever you uh, you prefer. Part one. Bit of a recap, part one, we very much talked about uh, Auka, now Settle, uh, about what you guys are doing, um, what your plans are for the future. Um, part two was more about uh, a mobile payment deep dive. Um, so what is mobile payments? What are different type of mobile payments, uh, software, hardware-based? And now in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, payment wars, or uh, I think, Daniel, as you dubbed it, the war of the eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting subject, right? Because I mean, um, for for people like us who works inside the industry, we, we see the change and we see this war going on. But from the outside, which I learn when I'm unfortunately bringing my my work life into my family life and my friends life, uh, this is completely unknown to them. So I, I guess this is one of the reasons why why it makes sense to to share this insight and 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 talk about it today as well. What this war is really all about. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things, especially in the previous episode that um, you kind of give, give little teasers what to discuss today. Uh, and they're very much in line with obviously the topic that we have uh, on for uh, this show. Um, the war on, on payments kind of, um, as I see it, um, not necessarily from the outside, but also not completely in, um, is um, that there's a lot of consolidation going on. Of course, there's companies trying to fight for the attention of um, the consumer. Is it very much more, do, do you see this payment wars being focused indeed on, on grabbing that attention of the consumer or is there also other, yeah, mini wars or, or, or parts of that war that are going on for, for different attention besides market share? So I, I guess the, the best starting point here is to, to draw a picture uh, of the battlefield, right? Um, so, so let's cover that first. So mm -hmm. first and foremost, if you look at the banks, so this would be retail banks, so your bank. Your, your bank is predominantly and historically the one serving the population, right? So most of us has a bank account and we have the various tools that our bank has, has given us to deal with our money. Um, the most frequent thing the average consumer does uh, besides checking balance of their account, which... Um, is something we do quite often to check that we have enough money to do the next thing, which is um, to do a purchase, meaning a payment. So 
Um, <clears throat> these are the most frequent things that we do. So our relationship to our bank is sort of where we keep our money and the tools that they give us is how we can spend that money. So, so this is the starting point and it's, it's a fairly simple one. Now, the problem um, that is the, the starting point for this war is that um, the banks have historically not been very good at innovating, right? So although they did finance and to that extent also innovated a lot of the technology being used for financial services, so sort of the infrastructures, um, in, in the modern day and age, most banks are not con conceived as, as innovators. And this has given room to other players. Uh, and it starts sort of looking back at um, companies like PayPal, for example, which was sort of one of the first fintechs out there who, who did uh, provide an alternative way for people and businesses to pay and get paid sort of outside of the banking world. Now, the problem for PayPal is that you can't really serve anyone unless you start from the foundation of having access to people's money. Right? So if I give you a payment service, it doesn't really matter unless you have money inside that payment service to use it. So that meant that PayPal, for example, was dependent on funding their service. It's in, 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 in our internal language, we call it a funding source, right? So you have a service uh, that, that does some sort of payment thing, but you need a funding source. So you need access to money, also called inflow, uh, <clears throat> for that service to work. Now, for PayPal in the start, this was uh, predominantly driven by cards. So like many knows today, you can download some sort of payment app and then you add your card to it. Now, that doesn't really make a war because the card is issued by a bank. So it just means this is another way uh, that the consumer is using the money and interacting with their bank. There's sort of just a proxy in the value chain, but the bank is still involved. You still have your bank relationship. You still have that card. And, and they're sort of happy, but you might use another service like PayPal uh, in certain situations. And these would be considered sort of small closed loop payment systems for sort of certain purposes. PayPal tried and has su succeeded over um, the course of many years to build not a closed loop, but a larger ecosystem and has sort of transcended from being what I would call closed loop to being more a universal payment service. Because everything, if you want to define it, is closed loop, right? Because, I mean, <laughs> if you pay with a card and somebody accepts the card on the other end, it's the same technology. So both sides had to agree that this is how we're going to do it. So for, for the technical purposes of it, it's, it's kind of closed loop. Everything is closed loop. But <clears throat> uh, so, so this is the starting point, is that um, the alternative payment solutions were predominantly funded by cards, and the cards were issued by the bank. So although you had this new wart on the side of your ecosystem, it wasn't really that terrible because customers still had very close relationships with their banks. <clears throat> and the start of this, this modern payment war comes about when the concept of open banking arrives. So what is open banking? I mean, that's covered extensively in other podcasts, uh, but for Europe, um, this was this was put in place predominantly by the regulators. They started, they started uh, the the uh, European Parliament passed the and the Commission passed the uh, the first payment service directive. <clears throat> that was intended to to uh, facilitate competition and sort of break up monopolies and so forth, but it didn't really work that way. So they made a second iteration, which is PSD two, the abbreviation that most of us in the industry knows quite well, and I guess the average consumer has heard this a couple of times. Sorry. 
<clears throat> and with PSD2, um, what has been mandated by the lawmakers is that a retail bank, so your bank, my bank, uh, wherever we keep our, our money, <clears throat> has to open up the, the account for third parties to serve us. So basically open the door to your account for a third party to connect to it and serve you from it. So the concept of, that I, I talked about, this funding source, your, your bank account now becomes a funding source for other types of payment that you can do provided by other third parties. So who are these third parties and, and why is this a problem? And why does this sort of spark a war? Um, so the parties involved is obviously your bank. So let's do that first. So, so these are, these are the, the players that has everything to defend. You already have a customer relationship with this bank, <clears throat> but now the bank is forced to open up access to your account for third parties. Let's use PayPal as a good example. So, so using these rules, this change in regulation, if you are a PayPal user and you like that thing and you normally funded that with your card, which was sort of cumbersome and it was quite expensive, uh, and it still meant that you had a very close relationship with your bank and you used your bank for day-to-day -day things like checking your balance uh, and doing other types of payments that PayPal couldn't support. Uh, in the new world, PayPal could correct, connect directly to your bank account and not only charge the bank account directly, so no cards involved in between you and PayPal. PayPal is going directly to your bank account with the, with the law in their hand. <clears throat> And uh, they can also then use the information on your bank account to show you balance and so forth. So that means two very important things. And this is the, the, the reason why this becomes a war. For the retail banks, it means that the use of any channel provided by the bank to you diminishes in value. So if you can already check your balance and do your everyday payments, serviced by PayPal on top of your bank account without you having any interaction with the bank, the bank has efficiently lost um, your eyeballs. Now, and the bank survives on selling products to you, right? They, they survive predominantly by providing credit and potentially selling other types of services as well. So insurance and, you know, they have a wide variety of financial services products that they're selling to you. And as the branches are being shut down and everything is being digitized, the primary sales channel that they have to you, that is the free one, is their own sales channel. So internet banking and mobile banking. So this is the, this is the, the promised land for the retail banks to use their digital channels to reduce the cost of selling products to you and me. But then all of a sudden, somebody comes in and says, you know what? I will be the channel to the customer. And this is in the example here, PayPal. So PayPal or any other payment app walks in and say, you know, I, I will service, I will service Roger and I can service him perfectly from my own beautiful, modern fintech -y type of interface on this mobile app. But I'm, I'm, I'm residing on top of the bank account that Roger had with these banks. So I can show the balance and I can do payments and it's all smooth. And funny enough, I can do it across multiple bank accounts, right? So I'm the super app. I'm the app that connects to Roger's bank account in A, B and C type of bank. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments 
or an entire payments team. Get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. So now we're in a situation where, where the bank is, is losing the eyeballs of you. And this is a huge problem for the bank. So that's mm-hmm. one side of the payment wars is that the banks are, are in a situation where third parties are starting to serve their clients in a very efficient manner on top of the bank accounts that they are running. So that they have all of a sudden become sort of pipes. They're just providing the underlying infrastructure. And funny enough, doing these payments, so initiating these payments on top of the infrastructure, by law, they can't charge for it. So when PayPal initiates a payment on behalf of you on top of your bank account hosted by someone else, the bank is not allowed to charge PayPal anything for it. So <clears throat> that's obviously a huge problem for the bank, right? Because they're in risk of losing your eyeballs, which is their primary sales channel to, to make money and, and have revenue on top of the customer relationship they have with you. So that's one side of it. Um, now, the other side of it, and we'll, we'll cover more about the details on, on how that plays out and why and, and what the banks are doing to mitigate this risk. Now, the other side of the equation is the, the, the card network's role. So in the old days, in my example, PayPal was funded by the cards, right? So when you did a payment, the card that you had was added to PayPal. This represents uh, a cost for PayPal because PayPal has to charge, you know, they are charged for processing the cards when you're doing payments and they either surcharge you. So that means that PayPal is not that attractive or they surcharge the merchant or whoever is involved in the, in the, in the transaction when they charge a card because card cards are expensive. Um, uh, and, and the revenue from the cards are split between the, the different parties involved in the card transaction. And in the new world, uh, when PayPal can charge directly from your bank account, in, in our make-believe example, I'm, I'm saying PayPal a lot here, but we can use another example as well. So we, we can talk about Settle uh, to, to do some self-promoting. So when, yeah. when, when, <laughs> so when, when, when Settle is, uh, when you're in the Settle app and you're charging your bank account directly, as I said, due to regulation, that payment, that initiation of that payment doesn't cost anything for Settle to do. Right? So that's a huge differentiating factor for Settle, who's providing the service, compared to charging the cards back in the day. Now, if, if you start to charge bank accounts for free and provide a beautiful user experience charging bank accounts directly, it's eminent that the cards are not, the, the card networks are not that happy because what happens? Their card volume drops. So when you're using a smart app and you're sending money, in real time to friends, and you're paying to different merchants inside apps, online, uh, also in physical stores, out there on flea markets, and whatever these alternative or, or like the new mobile payment apps are servicing, uh, and you're charging bank accounts directly, all of these scenarios are scenarios where the cards, to some extent, used to be the domain owner. The cards were involved, the cards were in the middle of those transactions. And now, they are not. So that clearly paints a picture that the card networks are not that happy with this change. The card networks do not like the new mob- modern mobile payment solutions if they are funded by or, or interact uh, directly with bank accounts circumventing the card rails. 
and they they don't like these services um, because they are servicing certain payment situations that used to be dominated by cards where you can now circumvent the, the card acceptance technology altogether. So the cards are being chopped out of the loop and the banks are being chopped out of the eyeballs game. So this is the foundation of the war. And then you have the third players in, in this war. And these are the newcomers. And, and there's a whole forest of these newcomers. Uh, some of them are, are fintechs. Others are established you know, uh, financial uh, players. I'll get to those. They are uh, media giants. They're technology giants. And they see this as an opportunity. They're not necessarily that interested in financial services per se, right? So the, the actual art of providing financial services is not that important, but they would like to play a role in this ecosystem because they have massive distribution and would like to have a closer relationship with consumers or businesses. These would be the likes of Apple and Google and Facebook and so forth. So there are three, there are three big, big players. There are three big positions. So you have the banks on one side, the banks are scared of losing eyeballs to customers and effectively losing the revenue that stems from day-to-day -day interactions and payments and the provision of other financial services. So that's one side of the equation. Then you have the card networks who is today standing in between the banks and the users when they're doing payments, the primary funding source for the majority of digital payments. And they are afraid of being chopped out of the loop, especially then in Europe uh, or other markets that are adopting the concept of open banking, where payments flow from one account to another. There's no card involved in the middle. As you know, the card industry is quite a big industry, <laughs> and then they're moving a lot of money, uh, and they're very profitable. So for them to see parts of their revenue being chopped off is obviously extremely dangerous. And then finally, you have the newcomers. Um, which is a forest of players, but we will use Apple and Google as example. Uh, <clears throat> and, and that's the foundation of the war, right? And in the midst of this war, we have consumers who are being exposed for what's happening, the changes that are, are, are happening, and businesses, so the ones who are accepting payments today. So this, this is, our, this is the, the, the ground that this war is played out on, and these are the players in the war. So yes. let's... Yeah, so, so let's, um, uh, we, we've defined then the, the, the players and there are, are, I think we've talked briefly about why these players are, are in this war. So banks are afraid of losing revenue and relationships. Cards are afraid of losing uh, their position in the value chain, controlling uh, by being sort of in the middle of most of the transactions out there. And the newcomers are looking for ways to get into this business and circumventing the two others. That's the, that's the war we have. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> um, the benefit of this, which is very important, right? So it's not just a losing game. The, the benefit uh, of this war is obviously to us, us as consumers and us as business people, because it drives competition. And this brings me back to a comment you made earlier when we uh, started this podcast. In the introduction, you talked about consolidation. And I would beg the difference, say, uh, what we're seeing right now is actually massive fragmentation. We're seeing massive fragmentation as a result of this war. And then later on, we will see consolidation. And, and I'll try to explain how and why I think mm -hmm. that's the case. 
So let's take the different let's take the different parties now. So the banks, the cards, and the newcomers, so Apple and Google, and see what are they doing to fight this war? What's going on out there? So first and foremost, if you look at the banks, um, and we can group them into sort of two two camps. So the first camp is the camp that's literally doing nothing, or they're doing the wrong things. So there are a lot of banks out there who try to strengthen their sort of digital position and serve the clients in a way where they believe the clients would not sort of migrate to other services um, by doing the wrong things or doing nothing. There are still many banks out there who does not believe in this payment war uh, that doesn't necessarily understand the big transformative shifts that we're seeing around the world. And believe that you know we've heard wolf wolf before in the payments industry and in the banking industry and likely nothing would really happen now i got news for these guys because if you if you look at the actual numbers uh, more than 1.5 billion people have installed and actively used these new alternative mobile payment apps over the course of the last five to seven years these include alipay and and apps like settle and venmo and sell in the us and so forth the list is you know long um, it's the fastest growing financial services product on the face of the planet. Um, so these things are popular and they're actually happening. So the first, the first camp of the banks, they're not really doing anything. They're milking the cow, uh, holding their hands in front of their eyes and just saying, okay, so <clears throat> if, if we are not doing anything, it will likely not happen and things will move along just as before. And, you know, people will not start to use new alternative payments apps. They will stay with us. We will retain the eyeballs and everything will be fine. And for a large portion of the population, depending on which country you live in, that's likely true for a period of time, right? Because there's this uh, consumer inertia. There's an inertia in the market. And we have a history as consumers and as businesses to sort of, when the going gets tough, we, we and right now the going is quite tough. We have a pandemic and we have an economic situation in the world that's likely to change and everything is a bit scary. We have a tendency to sort of go to the safe harbor, right? So people still go to the bank to loan money, to buy a house, to pay, you know, buy a car. So there is an institutional function that we're very used to um, that, that actually um, <clears throat> undermines the change and supports the status quo. So these banks are to some extent right. The change is happening. We can see it in the numbers. The question is obviously how fast will it happen and what role will these um, slow banks uh, have in the new future. But so, so that's that's camp number one. They're not really doing anything or they did small specific things like launching an NFC wallet for their own clients, uh, which is just yet another sort of product for their clients only. And this this brings us into the, the other camp. So the camp that's desperately trying to do the right thing. And I'll use the Scandinavian banks as good examples of this, including the American banks who are now pushing the service called Cell. <clears throat> so what these banks did is that they, they realized that there is a, a fight for the eyeballs. They realized that with the change in regulation with PSD2, uh, other players are going to try to serve their clients through these digital channels. And clearly, there are a lot of really good guys out there, clever people out there to, to make beautiful customer experiences, likely much better than those of the banks. So they really needed to up their game. So in, in the Scandinavian countries, um, so one of those countries being my home market where I started this journey and invented mobile payments and created that experience and later sold it to the banks, 
um, the, the bank strategically decided we need to be the one providing these modern new financial services through this type of app. And they decided it very strategically not to be one app served by one bank to their clients, because that's a bit like making a telco that can't call to everyone else. It's not going to be a very popular telco. So it needs to be open. It needs to be available for everyone. It needs to be a unifiable brand. It shouldn't alienate customers of other banks. There's a, there's a whole list of, of key success criteria, like a playbook for success for these, these modern mobile payment and financial services apps for them to be successful population-wide. And these banks understood this and they attacked that opportunity instantly, plowing money into that effort and creating... Um, quite untraditional collaborative setups where comp competitors goes together and backs one like national domestic solution to serve people. Why did they do that? They did it to protect themselves. They did it to saturate the market with the service uh, that was modern and sort of mimicked the, the best ones out there in the world in a way where consumers would fall in love with it, where they would start to use it, where they would use it for day-to-day -day payments back and forth, real time, uh, slowly but surely also paying to merchants and effectively moving. So the banks are eating themselves from, from the, you know, they're, they're, they're eating into their own business, but it, it's much better for them to be the change themselves uh, than for others to be that change. Because if you are the change yourself, if, if you are you know, eating out of your own business and replacing your old business with a new one, you still have the business. You have a relationship. So that's what they did. They build um, the services. They're called VIPs in Norway. It's called Swish in Sweden. It's called Mobile Pay in Denmark. And now we have exactly the same concept in the US called Zell. And <clears throat> what these things are, they're, they're um, domestic sort of national mobile payments apps. Uh, services pushed by all the banks or many of the banks in a collaborative model. Uh, and it's the same app for everyone. It's the same feature. It's the same function. It's like a domestic standard. And people are you know, eating up this thing as it's fresh bread from the oven. So clearly people like this. And this is a fantastic way for the banks to protect themselves and saturate the market so that if Apple or Google or Facebook or another fintech or whoever newcomer arrives, or Alipay for that matter, uh, and try to serve these consumers, the consumers would say, nah, I already have this and I'm happy. And all my friends are using this as well. So why would I, why would I change? If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Yeah, so why, if you then, if you see those, uh, the cooperation going on between banks in the Nordics, the US, I think also other parts of the world, in a previous episode, um, you were talking about that there is not enough space on the domestic markets or maybe even in, in the regional markets such as Europe for more than one player. Why do you still see fragmentation going on? Why, why is that still going on? Why is it still happening instead of consolidation? So let's zoom out for a bit and, and look at the world from, from a moon's eye view and say that uh, the, the service that is, um, is dominating in, a, in any parts of the world is sort of painting that part of the world in their color. Uh, if we zoom in, 
we know that uh, it's not that easy. You can't just you know paint the colors of your service across the whole world and say, I won. This actually entails winning over clients uh, and getting them to use this quite frequently. And this is where we come into the details of how you can be successful with these mobile payment solutions and how you have to build an ecosystem. Building an ecosystem, an acceptance network, so consumers on one side of the equation is using this frequently to check their balance, to do their private payments, to pay bills, to pay online, to pay in store, and so forth. And then equally on the other side of the equation, having businesses that accept this is a hefty task. This is not easy. So um, Visa and MasterCard and some of the other payment networks have worked you know, for decades to build these networks on very intricate models where they have distribution partners, so banks and, and acquirers. It has taken a lot of time, um, and that's why they're so successful in retaining their position, because the, the greatest value they have is, is the network, the, the, the ecosystem of consumers on one side and businesses on the other side. Um, they, they've built something which is very hard to break down. So you can't really break it down. You have to build an alternative, which is you know, better. Uh, and you have to do that from the ground up. So that brings us uh, that brings us to how do you do that, and and why is there fragmentation? <clears throat> so that's why I use the analogy of sort of lo- looking at looking at the world from from high above. If you zoom in, and you start to look, uh, you know, at the country, or you can even start at the regional level. So look at all of Europe. So all of Europe is very different, right? If we break it down into its individual parts and go all the way down into your city, right? And then into your building, and then into your family and and group of friends. In order to build a standard somewhere, you have to saturate enough of that market for everyone to sort of start to use it more than the alternative, right? Mm -hmm. So this is is hard. It's hard to do. It's a bit like, and I use this, I use another analogy. It's a bit like creating the next Facebook. So we, we, might, we might not love Facebook for all the things that they're doing. It obviously has a lot of features and, and it solves a lot of problems and it connects people and it does a lot of good things. But then there are certain things that you know, many people are not that happy with. The problem is that it's so established as a platform. It's an ecosystem where so many of the things you do on Facebook, you do there. So it's very hard to replace it. It's not like a hard cut you move from one day to the next to something else. And, and that's, the, that's the challenge that you see when you're trying to build a new, let's call it acceptance network. So when you build a new network of consumers and businesses who accept your means of payment, you actually have to do it from the ground up. It's something new. And this is to the benefit of the card networks, for example, because they are established. They're sort of the Facebook of the card industry. They're, they're not necessarily the best people out there, but you know the, the system is there and it works and, and the majority of, of the consumers and the businesses are using it. So how do you replace that? In order to replace it, you have to accept a certain level of fragmentation. <clears throat> you have to accept that the banks who wants to protect themselves, they fire up initiatives on their own. Right, so you live in the Netherlands, right? Yep. So you have Tiki. Yep. Uh, and, and and you know that there are you know certain there are several banks who are pushing that service, uh, but you also have other alternatives, right? Startups that are trying to deal with your money. So there is a there is a level of fragmentation. There are many different parties who would like to become that interface that you use uh, to deal with your money and to do payments, uh, and. <clears throat> This exact thing happens across every market because there is, there is no unique dynamic here. It's, it's, it's the same dynamic virtually everywhere. 
Um, the eyeballs are up for grabs. New technology uh, and, and the ubiquity of access to smartphones has opened up the consumer side and the business side for accepting new pieces of technology and services really rapidly. Uh, so everyone wants to, these three parties we talked about, the banks wants to protect themselves. The card would like, the card networks would like their system to be used predominantly and the newcomers would like to step into this value chain. So all of these three parties have sort of different um, interests, but they all culminate in trying to, trying to serve the consumer and the business with new or keeping the established payment options. Uh, and this leads to fragmentation. It leads to the fragmentations on a national level until consolidation happens. So this is part of the natural progression of rolling out mobile payments. And we know because we've seen it happening, we can talk about this from a bird's eye view, that where you, it starts with fragmentation, then there is a war going on. And then the moment somebody serves enough of the um, population and the acceptance sides of building the ecosystem of enough consumers and enough businesses to saturate the market just enough um, where the, you can't really have, um, it doesn't make any sense to be the number two. <clears throat> when you reach that point, then number two will typically, you know, default, they, they will disappear and number one wins. And this is exactly what has happened in the most mature markets on the face of the planet. So you can look towards the Scandinavian markets. That's where this dynamic happens. So you had certain initiatives, they were competing against each other. In some markets, it was, it was fintechs competing against each other. It was fintechs competing against banks. It was banks competing against other banks. And it was banks competing against telcos and so forth. And then uh, do, during that phase of fragmentation, um, the, the problem obviously is that consumers and businesses are in, 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 a, in a state of inertia because they don't like having too many options, especially when it's a uniform service. You know, if you walked into a shop and it said, uh, no, we, we don't accept Visa, we accept FISA. Don't you have FISA? And you're just like pulling your hands and saying, no, I have Visa. Uh, if the fragmentation was, was, was total, uh, you know, every every group of bank and every group of, of retailer would issue and accept different types of means of payment, which would create chaos. It's like you go to the movie shop and you rate the, rent the VHS, but when you get home, you only have a DVD player. There's like always this mismatch. The tools never work. And if the tools never work, people will not use them. So <clears throat> you need to get a winner. Somebody needs to sort of plow ahead and step up and, and start to fragment, uh, sorry, start to start to... Um, uh, break the fragmentation and form a winner. And once you pass that, that point, we have calculated this is a bit different from country to country. We believe it's around 25 to 30% of the market. Once you have 25 to 30% of the, of the payments market, meaning the consumers on the business side to form this ecosystem, you're at the point where it's very hard to beat you, right? Then you're ahead to the extent that number two will just fall behind and, and disappear eventually. And this is what has happened. So when you look at when you look at uh, uh, the Scandinavian countries, we've seen one service in each individual market prevail, and they have now become a standard. And you know, in, in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, individually, they have different services. Uh, these different services have become um, domestic standards, and they're used by typically more than 80% of the market. So, I mean, they're, they're just totalitarian. They, they, they control it. Uh, we believe that that's going to happen in every single individual market over time. And we see the same playing out. They're a bit behind, but you can see the same thing playing out in the US. Now, when the banks decided in the US that they uh, wanted to attack this, they wanted to step into this war, 
Um, they built um, together with early warning system. So one of the technology providers to the, to the US banks, uh, they built cell. And when they launched that, they, they actually did very, um, they did very well. They did a lot of the same thing, sort of the playbook taken out of the Scandinavian markets where banks went together, although they're competitors, they decided to collaborate and, and push the same service. It was named the same, it looked the same, it had the same features, it was priced the same. So they are walking against fragmentation. They are trying to consolidate in a very unusual fashion, I would say, by competitors going together to uh, defragmentate the market and consolidate it and then be, create that winner. And if you look at the metrics, and I don't have the updated metrics in front of me, but on a high level, you can summarize it and say Venmo has been around for ages. They've tried to saturate the market, but because they don't have the massive distribution and trust as the banks do, um, when the banks decided to push um, sell, you can see that sell has almost, at least the last numbers I saw, in terms of numbers of users and the volume on that platform, they have um, at least caught up, if not passed, Venmo, which is very interesting because they've only spent about one, one and a half years doing it versus Venmo has been around for ages. So, so this is the effect that you will see. And it seems like it's playing over and over. It seems like this, this uh, it starts with fragmentation driven by the fair or the opportunities of fares for banks and cards to miss out and the opportunity for Apple, Google, newcomers, fintechs, whoever to step into this market. Then you see the fragmentation happening. Uh, and then you see a winner slowly emerging. And, and we, we do believe that we, we know why that happens and how that can happen, uh, predominantly when strong local trusted brands come together and push the same solution on both sides of the equations of both to consumers and businesses, then you have the opportunity to create the standard uh, where you consolidate and you saturate to the point where you become a domestic winner. But because this happens in every single individual market, um, we believe two things to be true. We believe that there will only eventually be one winner in every individual market mm -hmm. because it's happening in every single market, right? And number two is that there will be a certain level of fragmentation like we see in the Scandinavian countries, for example, where this has played out. It's more mature than anywhere else in the world. So you can say Alipay and, and WeChat Pay are quite big if you count the numbers of customers they have. So absolutely, these guys are the biggest ones on the face of the planet. But if you look in saturation, if you look at, you know, in saturation in the population, looking at the Scandinavian countries, they are ahead. They're the world champions in terms of getting consumers and businesses to adopt mobile payments. Um, and it seems like it's the same thing that plays out everywhere. So um, you will first have fragmentation in every individual market. Then you will see uh, a collaborative model uh, for forming somehow. And once a collaborative model is formed uh, or um, um, competitors, let me define that. When competitors who has a strong customer uh, relationship and a strong sense of, of brand and trust in the market, when they come together and push one solution, that solution will likely win. And funny enough, this shouldn't be controversial. It is exactly the same model that Visa and MasterCard and the other sort of global payment schemes and payment networks has. Uh, it's the same model for the, that they use to become successful. Because you are not, if you open your pocket, your wallet, you don't have a Visa, Lisa, and Tisa card. You have either a Visa and or a MasterCard. So it's the same concept. It's like competitors. I mean, uh, competitors coming together under the roof of one very set controlled scheme, and they're all pushing the same product. This creates 
um, a, a good understanding of what that is, both on the consumer and the business side, and everyone unifies, you, you get consolidation, you increase the, the saturation in the market, and everyone is happy. Now, the problem with mobile payments is that this is happening individually in every single individual market right now, right? So you will likely have local winners, like in the Scandinavian countries, that are not the same, right? So you, you may have Tiki in, in, in the Netherlands, uh, you may have Jiffy in Italy that becomes, you know, the ultimate winner there. You have Switch Switch and Mobile Pay in, in, in Norway, Sweden and Denmark, uh, res respectfully. And you would have, you know, Cell in the US. You might, you have um, uh, Alipay and potentially WeChat Pay in China and so forth. So, so this creates fragmentation. Uh, and that, that's not necessarily good for us as consumers because, yes, it solves our everyday problems in our home market, but the world is getting smaller and hopefully after the pandemic ends soon, we will be able to travel again and we are more and more international than before. Uh, we're becoming a homogeneous group of people that lives on this blue planet and we would like to have some level of interoperability, at least you know, sending money to family and friends abroad using a system. And, and this is currently not doable in an efficient manner, then you have to go to the other services or go back to your bank and ask them to transfer money. So this is, this is, the, the, this is the, uh, the, uh, the playing field that we're looking at. This is the war ground. We have the banks who are scared of losing their relationship. We have the card networks who are scared of losing their position in the value chain as the funding source for all payments. And we have the newcomers who see this great opportunities, especially driven by changing regulation in Europe, that would be PSD2, to enter into the market and become the interface that serves consumers and businesses uh, without necessarily having to take a deep dive into the financial services space altogether. And I think Apple is a good example of that, right? So Apple is not a bank. Apple obviously has the money and the competence or could buy the competence to, to create their own bank. And they might do that over time. But right now, they're not really stepping into the banking space if you look at it technically. So from the outside, it might, it might look like Apple is, is a bank by creating Apple cash cards and so forth and doing Apple Pay. But they're not, right? In, in reality, they're not. They don't have a financial license uh, and the services that they are rendering, they're rendering on top of infrastructures of others. So Apple Pay is a card scheme. It's, it's run on top of Visa or MasterCard. Uh, <clears throat> so they're reusing rails that are already available. They're not building new ones. So they're not really changing anything. It's just me mechanics on top. And if you look at the, the payment service that they are providing to consumers, so the ability to send and receive money using iMessages and, and sending Apple Cash, um, first of all, that only works uh, in the US. It, it's, it's not an international service readily available. And you have to have a debit card and so forth. Uh, and that service is provided by, what is it, the Green Dot Bank. Um, so, so they're actually selling on top of someone else. They're not becoming, at least right at the moment, they're not a bank. They don't necessarily need to provide you the signal on your mobile phone but they really want to provide you the mobile phone because that's the one you're using. They don't need to provide the rails. They just want to have the window that you're in because that's very powerful. They can impact you. They can guide you. They can, um, they're the gatekeeper, uh, which has lately been heavily discussed and debated because both Apple and Google is doing this in terms of controlling what you can buy on your phone. If you buy anything on your phone, 30% of the revenue goes to Apple or Google, right? Because they're providing the in-app purchases, for example. So clearly there's a positioning game going on here. So let's take a step back then, Daniel, and apply it maybe to what you guys do with Settle. So this process of 
um, fragmentation, consolidation, becoming a domestic winner and then maybe becoming a regional winner. How do you apply that to settle? Are you guys looking to indeed be the winner in Norway, then the Nordics, then Europe, maybe the world? Or how do you, you guys try to uh, yeah, be successful in all this? So it starts with the vision, right? So our vision is to digitize and democratize money. Um, that's a very broad vision. Um, and our mission, so the way we, we try to achieve that vision is to enable valuable connections between people and businesses. So we focus on the ecosystem. So consumers and businesses connected. Now, learning from what I've just told you, how do we position ourselves in that world? So there are certain markets that are already saturated. They are not that important to us, right? They're already taken. But if you look at Europe as a whole and, and the individual states that makes up Europe as a whole, the majority of them uh, inside the EEA, where we have a license, we are licensed to operate in all 31 EEA member states. Um, and the majority of those states are not at the maturity level yet where one party has won anything. In fact, most of them has no party entered into the market yet in the way we define mobile payments. Yes, are there, are there fintech startup banks there? Are there banks who are providing different types of NFC wallet? Is, is Apple Pay available? Yes, yes to all of the above in most of the markets. But that's not the mobile payment that's going to win. When you look at the uh, super success of VIP, Swish, mobile pay, if you look at the, the progress of the schemes like Jiffy in Italy, if you look at the, um, the Alipay and, and WeChat Pay of the world and Zelle in the US, there is a uniform um, service spectrum that makes up these successful mobile payment apps. The ones I mentioned that are already live in these other markets is not it. So our, our, um, our position is that the majority of Europe is, is up for grabs. It's not taken yet. And <clears throat> that puts us in a, in a position where we can introduce our service. Now, creating a standard winning uh, following sort of the blueprint for success that we've seen play out, not only in the Scandinavian countries, but now also in the US and other markets, um, requires um, a, a certain way of going about doing it. And, and I mentioned a couple of those things, key ingredients. Uh, one of the key ingredients is obviously uh, local ownership. So in our model, I, I, don't, I don't care about the products we have. We know that they work. We, we invented this thing in the, in, in the Scandinavian countries. We have a product composition that we know is very appealing. And the way we do that, without spilling all the beans, obviously, because I can presume that some <laughs> of our competitors are listening to this. <laughs> but the way we do that is we facilitate local ownership, right? So we believe that for, for example, banks to um, create a local winner by supporting something that's ready-made, which they're used to do, doing because that's exactly how Visa and MasterCard won their uh, rollout of their products, right? Is that they got the banks to join in. They got the banks to basically sell their products. And that's the way we go about doing it. So we facilitate local ownership so they can, they can own locally to ensure that they have a certain level of control. Uh, but it still needs to be the same standardized solution. Just with Visa and MasterCard and these other things, you can't make your own cards because if you do, you contribute to the fragmentation. And if you contribute to the fragmentation, you will not saturate the market. And most importantly, once you've won, you don't want to be in the situation that the Scandinavian banks find themselves. Here's a learning from the most successful ones out there, is that they are proprietary solutions currently only operating in one market each, right? So they haven't managed to branch out yet because they're all proprietary. 
So our evil plan, <laughs> which is not evil, it's the, it's the plan to try to help as many consumers and as many businesses to form valuable relationships and for us to digitize money as our vision is and make it you know, um, available for as many as humanly possible is actually to be that winner individually in the domestic markets together with the local players who has the most to lose or the most to win in that market. So that would be the banks. Uh, it might also be telcos and media companies, whoever has distribution power in that market to build the local winner. But lo and behold, a bit like Visa and MasterCard has built local winners that happens to be international schemes, so it works everywhere. That's what Settle is doing as well. So we're bringing Settle into the individual markets with our local partners who also own, who help us distribute, the, the locals who know how to do this. They know the local market. Uh, and when we win that local market, we've done exactly the same in the neighboring market. So we're connecting the two. If you compare that, for example, to the service that you're using in, in the Netherlands today, imagine if your neighboring country where you know your friends study or parts of your family live, they're using another service locally in their market. You can imagine the sort of challenge of interoperability and, and that you're banging your head against sort of the, 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 um, the boundary uh, between your country and their country. And we believe, oh, yeah. that that's very, we believe that that's very unfortunate, right? Why should, why should that not be one, one service? And that's our ambition is that besides trying to win in the individual markets together in a collaborative model that's extremely bank friendly, we also take a bird's eye view and we say, we want to connect them all. Same service, same name, same technology, same brand, um, same, same solution so that we're not only winning in individual markets, we also interconnect them and we win in as many markets as we can. That's our ambition. So is it a bold plan? Yes, absolutely. Is there a, a big chance for us losing it all and being unsuccessful? Absolutely. Are we going to try it? Absolutely. I like it. But yeah, so, and with that, indeed, because of the cooperative model, you basically, you um, have the banks as domestic, if not regional winners as well, because they remain the attention of the eyeballs. Exactly. And this is the crux of our scheme is that we've said, um, yeah, the bank will be pushing settle to their clients, one name, one brand, one solution. <clears throat> but the way we solve this sort of eyeball game is that when the bank is issuing settle to their clients, we know who issued it. So if your bank is issuing settle to you, we know that your bank did that. And we reward them, obviously, with the revenue share that they deserve. So all the commercial models are in place. But we also give them access to that channel. So with access to that channel, yes, it will eventually replace the mobile banking app. I mean, that's the unfortunate future that the banks will have to accept. Uh, consumers are going to move into other channels for doing a large portion of their financial services. I know that hurts, but that's the reality. And these, these new channels, for example, Settle, will be the predominant one. But the good news is that if you join the Settle scheme, you own that channel together with us and you have the rights to use that channel as a replacement for your existing channel. And you can sell your services, upsell, communicate and do data sharing inside that environment. So obviously we've taken care of that. So you're basically replacing your old channel with a new channel. The new channel is more popular. It grows exponentially. It's a universal channel for you know, the whole population. And if we are successful, it will not only be domestically for the whole population, it will also be for the neighboring countries and become a, a regional standard. Yeah, helping democratize money. It's really cool. Um, going back to the payment ward. And so 
as far as I can remember, this war has been going on for uh, almost two decades, if not longer. How long do you think this will last until it's been fought? Will this take another 10, 20 years? Or do you feel this is going to be finished shorter term? Or, or what, what are your views on that? That's a great question. I guess um, it, it goes in cycles, I would presume, right? So it's also a change, right? Uh, an, an active change from... Um, what we had to uh, a future that the regulators or the lawmakers has decided is, is necessary, right? To try to break up monopolies, to drive more competition, to make it more consumer friendly and so forth. Predominantly driven in Europe by, by regulations of PSD2. Uh, and, and that has sparked this opportunity for somebody to lose and somebody to win. And, and that drives change. And I think that's, that's good. Uh, does it hurt? Yeah, for, for some it will hurt. Uh, will it result in better services and cheaper pricing and so forth? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and that's the intention. And the regulators has, uh, or the lawmakers has proven that that intention is there to their heart because they made PSD, so the Payment Services Directive, today known as PSD1, and then when that didn't really uh, fulfill its purpose, it wasn't strict enough, it wasn't clear enough, the, the outcome wasn't, wasn't something that was measurable in, in, in giving the KPIs that, the, that they were looking for. So they made PSD2. Will we get the PSD3? Likely, right? Absolutely. We need more changes. Um, and, and will we see a, a saturation on mobile payments? Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that all together. As I said, it's, it's the fastest growing financial services product on the face of the planet. Over the course of the last five, seven years, we've seen 1.5 billion people downloading these apps, right? That's faster than we've ever seen any other, as far as I know, uh, disclaimer there, uh, as far as uh, uh, the fastest growing uh, adoption of something that we've ever seen in financial services. Um, once we've reached that point, you know, one, once uh, every individual country has their own national standard and whether or not that national standard is part of a regional standard like we're hoping to create with Settle, that's hard to know. Uh, but once we get there, we will, we will have another wave, right? Then there will be, uh, and, and what do I know? Uh, I can predict, but you know, maybe you'll see another shift. Maybe you'll see uh, that, you know, it, and there is a big chance that the, the payments infrastructure the rails that our money run on, in addition to the interface being used by us to manage our money, which can be the same or be different, um, meaning that there are different providers, can be, for Europe as an example, owned and controlled by the US or the Chinese. And I think we should ask ourselves, is that something we want? Right? Do we want? And I'm not against. I think Alipay uh, and, and and Financial is uh, is very good at what they're doing. They're a huge innovator. They've been doing a lot of great stuff, and they are helping digitizing money in their markets. Uh, but then there are certain challenges with with having a Chinese technology company uh, in the way that we know governments can interfere, and and the challenges we know uh, not to get political, but you know the challenges we know with with certain technology providers playing crucial roles in global infrastructure that other governments are not that happy with. And I think it's problematic if we accept that, you know, the European uh, front end of our money or the European back end of our money is sort of outsourced and won by either the Chinese or the US. These types of shifts, I believe we will see uh, in the future as well. So once the first leg of this war has been won, it creates a new reality that, that, that has its own benefits, but also challenges and we need to address them. And I believe that the infrastructure side of this is, is going to be the next big frontier. So once the interface of money has been settled, <laughs> the, um, the, uh, the next leg of this is how do we interconnect? Who gets to, 
who gets to control the flow of money when it passes um, in and out of these different networks globally. And also there's a huge challenge here. The next war might be identity. So how do we provide uh, a, a trustworthy global digital identity that people can use? So there's plenty of wars out there to be fought. And, and I, I, look like forward to, <laughs> I look forward to every single one of them. Exactly. Yeah. Cool, Daniel. Well, thank you very much. It's been very insightful. You clearly have some very visionary, I think Lewis called it prophetic ideas um, about the way that payments is going. Um, and, and like I said, in, in the first part, it was more focused on um, settle. Uh, the second part was more about mobile payments as a whole. Um, and this one was more about payment wars. It's been, it's been a very interesting uh, trilogy. Uh, thanks for, uh, for being on the show. If, if people want to find out more, uh, where can they find you? Where can they find more about settle? So you can go on settle.eu, which is our domain, and read more about Settle there. We are redoing our corporate webpage there since we just did the name change. So, so stand by for an updated website there. So settle.eu. And if you want to connect with me, uh, feel free to do that. I like to be open and share as much as I can. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name will be in the description below, Daniel Dodeline. So uh, click connect and tell me who you are and, and what you do. And, and uh, I'd love to supply and answer as much as I can if you have any additional questions that I didn't cover here. Great. Thanks again, Daniel. And um, good luck with, with fighting this war. Hope you guys will, will come out on top. Thank you for having me, Roger. Really appreciate it. And it was uh, super fun for me as well. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner, Free Your Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline. CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away, together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.